1: When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try
0: not to fuck up
1: the glass. Tillamook ice cream, extraordinary dairy.
2: Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to With Friends Like These. Our guest this week, Nagin Farsad, calls herself a social justice comedian a phrase a lot of people might consider a contradiction in terms. But she's been using her skills to leverage entertainment into opening minds for years now, both in her book, How to Make White People Laugh, and her documentary, The Muslims Are Coming, and on a regular basis on her podcast, Fake the Nation. Stay with us for a conversation about turning a master's degree into a podcasting career, and yes, for some answers to that question, how do you make white people laugh? And after Nagin, stay tuned for a visit from Jolene, the tiny companion of Crooked Media's Matt DeGroot. But first, Nagin, coming right up. Nagin, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. I have my very first question. Is maybe an obvious if we, one. Yeah, let's hear it. You call yourself a social justice comedian. <laughs> <laughs> These uh-huh. are not words that people hear a lot together, let's say. <laughs> yeah. What What is that? What is a social justice comedian?
3: I mean, it's funny because when I, I started using that term so long ago, before people really use the word social justice ever, you know what I mean? It wasn't like they, they were used in circles, but the, now I feel like it's used really commonly. It's there's like statement teas. Then there's like social justice warriors, and everybody hates them. And that, you know, so now it's like there's a whole different set of connotations um, to the term social justice. But at the time, I started saying that just because people would be like, "Oh, you're a political comedian," and I was like, "I mean, not exactly. Like, I'm not making jokes about Obama's tan suit up here. You know what I mean?" And so I felt like. Um, it, it wasn't, it, I was like, I think I'm more about, I'm more of a social justice comedian because it's more about like stuff that's right and wrong, but then also just, uh, anything else too. And, uh, and, you know, so I just sort of adopted that term because it felt more accurate than political comic,
2: you know, I, I like it. Uh, it does make me think of how, if we're going to use that term to modify a lot of things. Then it should modify almost everything if you're really trying. Right, <laughs>
3: right, right. Like, right, I'm a right. social justice
2: podcaster, that's what I am. You know, like, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's almost at this point, the social justice is silent. Like it right. should be implied. Well, see, right? not for everyone.
2: <laughs> or,
3: or it's yeah, right. still, we're still not there yet.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> right, right, right. It's still not. We're still not there. But, uh, but yeah, it is one of those things where it's just like um, implied in this. I just want you guys to know I'm into like human rights and stuff. Yeah, it, we shouldn't
2: have to say it, but maybe right. there should be a way of saying it. Yeah, know. no, exactly, exactly. Uh, it can be a badge alongside the I'm vaccinated pins. So.
3: Right, um, <laughs> and then right alongside the, like, you know, I don't know,
2: certified gluten-free or something, you know what right. I mean? Like, it's just a bunch of different uh, little markers. Um, I do want to know how it is you came to this as a, let's I call it a profession, calling, identity, that it, uh-huh. it's a spe- real specific thing in a way. Sure, so. Yeah. I mean, well, I, so
3: like, uh, you know, like most comedians, I have a, a master's degree in African American studies and another mm-hmm. one in public policy. And so you're you know, you just podcast listeners. <laughs> I'm like nodding. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because naturally, and um, I, uh, I was, you know, I actually, I'm one of these people. I like interned for Hillary Clinton. I interned for Charlie Wrangell. I interned for Wait For It C SPAN. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's where the real action was. They're they're the most insane over there, you guys. Um but I, you know, and I was a, so then after after grad school, um, you know, I, I was at Columbia, so I sort of like applied for some jobs in the city and I I w um I got a job as a as a policy advisor um, for, uh, the city of New York ca- for the campaign finance board. And I, you know, and I was like a real career track person, you know what I mean? I was like trying to be in government, but I was always doing comedy at night, even it, you know, in, in high school and in, in college and grad school. Um, you know, and I went, my grad school was so serious. Everyone was really like doing it hard. And, uh, I, and they would be like, let's do a, a study group tonight. And I'd be like, um, that's really cute, but I have to go do a set downtown. So I'll, <laughs> see you guys later. You know what I mean? I was always, I kind of always had one foot out the door with comedy. And um and then I, I eventually um I, you know I had to sort of admit to myself that like comedy was the thing I wanted to do full time. And, and and I also did it. But the thing is like I always wanted to go into politics uh you know as a kid I thought oh I'm gonna you know I'm gonna re- I'm gonna run for president of the United States, you know, I'm gonna do all this stuff um and it's no big deal. They'll just like elect an Iranian American Muslim. It's fine. Um, and I, you know, I really literally have...
2: stranger things have happened at this point. Oh, Yeah, yeah,
3: no, completely, completely. <laughs> um, uh, like, like uh, electing a black
2: man, for example, um, and a reality show star. I mean,
3: and a reality show star. Like, yeah, within the same ten year period. Um, and so I, uh, I thought you know, that I would really go into that. And I, and I really believe in public service. I mean, I still believe in public service and being a public servant in that way. Um, and, uh, I wanted, I didn't want my comedy to be like completely narcissistic, which most of comedy really is. Um, and, which is fine, uh, but I didn't want it to, be, I wanted there to be some, I wanted to be able to like do, you know, dumb jobs that have nothing to do with anything, you know, which I did. I wrote, I wrote on a lot of uh, shows and stuff where like the, you know, they'd be like, I need uh, 10 jokes about, uh, you know, Nick Jonas's abs by 1 PM, you know, and like I did those jobs uh, and I'd still will do those jobs. So <laughs> keep me in mind. Folks. <laughs> I'll
2: call um, you next time. I need Nick Jonas. abs. <laughs> yeah, <jokes>. please.
3: <laughs> But uh but I didn't. Uh, but I but I also wanted to be able to do projects that were more in line with my my social justice roots and more that had a little bit more of an activist element. Uh, so I merged the two in a lot of the like independent
2: work that I do. I'm curious if you could even say kind of which came first as a calling. Like I think like I feel sometimes at a disadvantage to other. Uh, woke folks because I grew up in a really woke-ish home like I've never uh-huh, had like yeah. a decision where I was like this is going to be my political ideology you know right right like, right I, I mean I believe in what I I believe in all of this stuff right and sure that's not the issue it's more like I, I never felt like I was it's like being raised in a certain religion maybe I don't know yeah 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 <laughs> And then, as far as like being a writer, that's also a thing that I just felt like always. I mean, it was always there. Yeah. Me. And I'm curious if you, if either of those callings for you was ever a decision. Um, I think
3: definitely because I'm from an immigrant family, <laughs> <laughs> and um, Iranian uh like little Iranian Muslim immigrants um don't want to have comedian children <laughs> like that's just not you know that's just and you know by the way no parent should want to have comedian children <laughs> <laughs> like, do not wish to have comedian
2: children mamas don't let your babies grow up to be comedians
3: yes please yeah. it should be right up there with like drug dealers you know what I mean like you don't want it um and uh, it was so. I and, and I tried, you know, really to like be the kind of person that had a four hundred and one k and wore pantsuits. Um, and and by the way, going into politics was already like the the sideways choice because, mm-hmm. you know, this uh, very stereotypically, you know, um, Iranian immigrants, uh, you know, li- like it when their kids become engineers and doctors and, you know, have these like really august, um, professions, uh, that are really reliable. And, uh, my, you know, my going into politics was already weird. Um, and then to top that off with like, but now I'm, I'm going to go into comedy. You know, I remember hearing my, I remember like my parent thinking like, you know, that my parents were disappointed, um, that my, that I, be, that I became a comedian, um, because I heard them say my mom on a phone call saying to one of her friends, like, I'm disappointed that Nagin became a comedian. You know what I mean? It was just like, yeah, of course, you know? And then there's all those years that like, you have to convince them that you're a professional, but you're just the kind of professional who doesn't make any money. <laughs> so there's like all those years where things are like so uncertain, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you start doing some things that they've ever heard of and then you're like okay then then they're like they can they can breathe and I think now they're you know they're for so many years they just always my mom would just be like you can always go back to government you know what I mean and I'm like <laughs> I let me just see that's, if I can do this that's now the safe
2: choice Right, that's one of the things they would be proud of.
3: Right, like the fallback job and policy, and um, and then and you know, and then at a certain now they you know now they don't say that anymore because they're like, okay, we get it. Uh, We we've we've seen you and heard you on enough things.
2: Uh, My dad only recently stopped reminding me that I could go back and get my PhD in math. I can see how the the profession line had to be a series of choices. But I do want to go back to the values part of the equation that I was asking about, because I do think it's interesting how people come to believe what they believe, especially people who feel strongly enough about it to make that part of their calling. Yeah. So is there history there?
3: Right. So, I, you know, it's interesting because I think my it's not like my parents ever said stuff to me about politics like that was kind of never a thing, right? Like we weren't at home talking about like, you know, what, what George Bush senior was doing or whatever. Um, I think, um, we, I think it was, I just, I think what my parents, what I just sort of witnessed my parents doing was just always being in service. Mm. Um, my dad is a, a surgeon, and he was always like taking, doing the surgeries of people who couldn't pay for it. Um, talk, you know, always talking about how he could help someone who didn't have health insurance. I mean, I think that that discussion was constant in our home. It was like people who couldn't afford the kind of medical care that he was out there giving, and so what ways he could help them figure out, like, how to, you know, to get the surgery, but, like, also deal with the hospital cost, All of that stuff was always a part of the discussion at home. Um, and so I think, I, so I saw him sort of, like, constantly volunteering in that way. And my mom, uh, you know, was all, I just, you know, we were, we, my, my grandparents lived with us for a, a long period of time. We had my, my, our house was sort of like the place you came if you had cancer, which sounds dark, but it was like my, my parents were just sort of like, what we do is we help people through medical crises, you know, and um, because we have the expertise, you know, we, we have the, the know-how and, um, and we care, you know? So there was like, it's just like a strangely large number of cancer patients coming through our house, which, <laughs> and it, which also, which, so I think like it also, funnily enough, gave me such a strong belief in medical technology and like medical science, because I saw so many like great stories of survival. Um, and, uh, but I also just saw people like constantly, being in service to their community, whether it was like brothers and sisters and family or friends or strangers. And um, and I think that just maybe got into my bones a little bit without knowing what is the what is that political ideology? Like it's not like I knew. I just knew that doing stuff for neighbors and doing stuff for friends and family is just something that you're supposed to do. Uh, and I think that that's always like translated for me um in in building community
2: and policy. I think I think that those values can happen a fair amount, the idea of being of service. I do think Mm -hmm. it's interesting for the people who see that, and I know people like this, who are of service to the world, but their political ideology somehow stops at the door. Right, 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 right. Or or I should say their political ideology starts at the door to the outside. Like they they believe in doing service in their community and for family, but then somehow it's like, oh, but government, no
3: right right and i but I also think you know like if you're looking at people like my parents in the 80s and 90s like that was it was normal to just be of service and then not and it had nothing to do with politics in general like it wasn't like being of service was more republican or more democratic or anything you know it just i think it was just like this person does that in the community you know um I, it, it it definitely, I, I mean, th- this is not a brilliant thing to say, but it definitely felt less polarized. You know, also as a kid, I don't know what was going on in the 80s and 90s, but like, you know, the, it definitely felt more polarized and it definitely felt like being of service di- wasn't politicized in any way.
2: Maybe this is what, a good time to I drop know? in a, something that may have had an influence. Okay. Which is the Iran hostage crisis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so you are so saying was... like the 80s and 90s, always all less polarized and stuff. I, um... Right. So the <laughs> hilarious thing is for, I think, so for, so,
3: you know, my, my brother uh, and I had two com- kind of totally different lives because he's 13 years older than me. And so he experienced the immigration and the coming here and learning English and uh, my parents had no money. uh, You know, he experienced the struggle Um, by the time I was born. So I was sort of like born into the Iran hostage crisis and all of that stuff. I obviously didn't know or experience, though we lived in Virginia when I was very little and one of my earliest memories is my brother coming home from it must have been high school um, with a black eye because he was getting beaten up because he was Iranian, and so and that was in um, you know a, a small town in Virginia, in non-northern Virginia um, and not Northern Virginia and Salem, Virginia, and uh, and so it was. Uh, they were not welcome there, <laughs> and so we end up moving to Southern California to, to Palm Springs, California, which is where I grew up mostly. And so I didn't, ex- you know, my parents and my brother have this entire experience of being in a southern small town. Um, and being Iranian during a really hyper-political time for Iranians. And, you know, and and my brother getting beaten up. And it's so funny because there are so few Iranians now and m- more so then. Like, there was, there's just so few Iranians in America. Like, <laughs> I guess maybe for these guys that were beating up my brother, like, maybe this is our only chance to beat up an Iranian. Like, we better take it. Um, you know, so I think... Uh, During the 80s, it was um, really hyper. There was a lot of hatred of Iranians at that time because of the uh, Iran hostage crisis, because the Ayatollah um, in Iran was just, you know, stirring up some garbage and. It was uh, so. I think for them it was tough. I was a little kid, so I didn't experience it as much. Um, but I do. But it is we- It is interesting to me that my earliest memory is like a is like a memory of like you know v- violence and bigotry.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to me that when you were talking about like how your values developed and and how that kind of fed into a desire to to, to be involved in politics, like you didn't mention being Muslim or or whiteness. Right. Or bigotry. Well, or right? Well, I mean, it, it's
3: funny. Like I, so, um, so I wrote this book called how to make white people laugh. And I talk about this a lot, which is that growing up, like in, so I ultimately grew up in Palm Springs, which is completely different from Virginia. And, um, and the, you know, the main population in Palm Springs, um, are Mexican Americans. And I, you know, as a kid, like really long to be Mexican, you know, because they had um, radio stations and restaurants and culture and icons and you know and things that like my overly specific hyphenated ethnic identity did not have and so growing up I I just sort of was like can I glom onto those guys you know what I mean because they have all of those things um, and that like you know I, re- I remember being like in class where we had these like you know it, it, and truly like I think my high school was maybe like forty or fifty percent Mexican American and. And so teachers would be like going down the, the the roll call sheet and they would be like, you know, um, Maria, Aurelia, Rodrigo. You know what I mean? Like they just like fully could do all of the Spanish names and they were really like, everybody understood the, the you know, Mexican-American identity. And then it would get to me and they would be like, Megan, McGee, McGeem, you know what I mean? And And one teacher said to me once, um, she called me, she, tra- she called me noodle, which she just laughed and laughed. And then, uh, and then for the rest of the semester, I know it was, I was like, by the way, we're more of a rice based people. So that, <laughs> that stereotype doesn't track lady. I wanted to correct her with that. But, um, uh, but then she, and then this is really, really crazy. She couldn't say my name. And she decided for the rest of the semester, she would just call me by my initials because she just couldn't figure out how to say my name, right? And I was just like, oh, like, if only my name was Aurelia, then she would be able to say my name, uh, which is this funny thing that happens in American society of like minorities whose, uh, whose presence we understand, right? Mm-hmm. And at, le- at the very least, understand. And the ones who we like, you know, are still like, no, could you? change your name to Rodrigo, that would make more sense.
2: <laughs> it is interesting how there's kind of a, a spectrum of bigotry, but I don't mean from not being bigoted to being bigoted. I kind of mean like there's a lot of different ways you can be bigoted.
3: <laughs> right, 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 right. From like, it's like from like, um, like I've seen you uh, your type before to like oh gosh I haven't seen your type before but I hate both of you yes yes, <laughs> yes you know what I mean yeah
2: in your book you also write about wanting to be black yeah well because
3: I went I mean <laughs> and again and it's not like I it's not like I it's not like I I was never confused, right? Like, this isn't a Rachel
2: Dolezal situation. Like, I wasn't <laughs> trying to pass. Like, you were... No, at, yeah. There yeah. was
3: nothing like that going on, right. just to be clear. But I went to college, and, and it's like, I was so used to, like, having this one major minority group um, surrounding me. Um, and in college, we didn't have... I went to, to Cornell in upstate New York, um, and it was just like, it was... There was just, like, no Mexicans, as far as the eye could see. It was, like, very few. Uh, but the, we did the main minority group we had on campus was um, were black people. And I happened to like live next to um, the like, black dorm on campus. And then I just, you know, um, I just sort of like started it wasn't it was that it what what attracted me was the language around like struggle and like political action. You know, and so that's kind of like what I would I started taking um, and and why I ended up getting a a master's in African-American studies is because that was the most clear um, language around struggle and political action and 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 like um, and policy solutions you know um uh, when it came to um like a, a a large minority group in the country and i was like oh i'm like clearly not black but i have a lot to learn mm-hmm. from this group that could you know um that could maybe be applicable elsewhere to all the like third thing people like me um who who are so small in number that they don't really like a, you know uh th- there isn't enough get lumped in.
2: Yeah, which kind of to just non-white, you're just not white. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. We had Kamal Bell on not too long ago, and he talked about how marginalized people have to develop a sense of humor. That Mm. that the struggle, you know, and the marginalization and and the um force to to sort of process, yeah, violence, bigotry, you know, structural inequality comes out in humor. Uh-huh, yeah. Do you find that to be the case? Um
3: <laughs> I don't, you know, it I think it I think there's something to that also just like watching my parents come to this country as immigrants and and seeing how they sort of navigated that life and navigated having fun in the middle of it all, you know what I mean? Um, and making friends in the middle of it all and, um, and, and, and being joyful in the middle of it all. I think, you know, you, you think about also, you know, I, I remember um in Iran, there was a. I, I was a little kid, and we went to Iran during the um, Iran Iraq War. Um, not to brag, and um, <laughs> and we we're, and, we're and I remember like hearing stories about what people would do uh, during during bombing raids and stuff like that. And they talked about it like it was so fun <laughs> because the lights would go out around the country or around the city, wherever they were. Um, And you'd have to turn on candles and you would just kind of be silent, like shutters closed. They didn't want any lights in the city. And they would start playing cards or whatever by candlelight and like, and they talked about these bombing raids like they were like a great time. And I think there's like a spirit of... Look, this sucks, but how are we going to make it fun so that we can survive it? Um, because if you get too tra- like mired in how sad and depressing something is, like war, um, you, you know, you you won't, you may not survive it just because your 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 emotional mm-hmm. just your emotional health won't survive it. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot of that with um, marginalized groups. Yeah.
2: And and that brings me to kind of a flip side of the question, and it, it's something I started thinking about when I was reading your book about how to make white people laugh. Mm. Which is, see, I don't want to make make you make a generalization, but yeah. I was I'm thinking about: so are white people not as funny?
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, no. Like,
2: like are we? Are we? Like. I mean, I kind of think maybe, you know, like it's <laughs> it's possible. Like and also the whole idea of having to make a white person laugh as being a different thing, right? Right, right, like right. They we have a somehow you need to work harder or and actually now that I say that, I think it's probably true because you have to kind of get around the defenses of whiteness, right? I mean, so first of all, I just want to say
3: that white people are really funny. (laughs) And and that some of my best friends are white people. And they're funny white people too, I think, right? Okay. Uh, Birthplace of stand up comedy, America. Um, So I think, you know, the, 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 the way, like I titled this, like this, like ridiculous title, how to make white people laugh. And, um, you know, and in, in part of the book, I talk about, you know, why I think it's important to make white people laugh. And just because like, they control a lot of things, um, sort of like space and, um, you know, like game of Thrones and, um, you know, <laughs> you don't, please like, don't make a list. The podcast pun is only pants, so long. Right? Just so. Like, yeah, the very long <laughs> list of things. That went right. Very long list, but I have a list in there. If okay. anyone wants to check out my list. Um, and, um, 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 and, and because they control so many of these things, um, it's important to like keep them happy and laughing because, uh, if they are happy and laughing, then they'll let us, let us in on some of that stuff. (laughs) And, um, and so that's just kind of like the idea. And I think, you know, obviously like you attract more bees with honey and I, I'm, you know, I think we're also in a transitional space right now where I kind of feel like people like me are ambassador types. You know what I mean? You know, we're here to like make make that cultural transition to like when 20 years from now, you're not going to think it's weird or anything to see, you know, an Iranian American muzz doing something or whatever. Um, but until then, people like me are the, like, little bridges, you know? And I, and I know people are like, oh, no, no one should have that responsibility or whatever. But I relish having that responsibility. Like, it's great. I can go out there and I'm creating new stereotypes every day. You know what Iranians do? They don't enrich uranium. Uh, instead, they are comedians. Iranians, oh God, they're always comedians. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you are like, if you're out there doing that, um, you kind of get to be more uh, in charge of the narrative, you know, and I and I kind of enjoy that.
2: And the, And there are people who feel called, to do that who take on the emotional work of interfacing with white people you know like not everyone yeah. can do it and that's great you know yeah I mean, it is i do think it's important that you're like this is what i want to do you know i'm here to do this
3: and i've been trained i mean i watched i've been watching like you know, rom-coms since I was a child. Like I get, you know what I mean? I, uh, I get it. I get it. I get, um, I get the, like, I, I feel like I understand how to communicate. Um, and, 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 and also because I'm able to understand everything about, uh, cultures. The other thing is like, I, you know, I've been all over America and doing stand up and, you know, I remember, um, I was on tour for this, this Muslims Are Coming tour that we turned into a movie. And this woman said to me once, uh, and then I've gotten this question many times, but this was on camera. It's in the film. She said, um, what do you 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 know, what do you think of 9-11? And it's funny because I think if you were to ask <laughs> that question, I know, it's right? Okay. <laughs> well, we were in, I don't remember where we were. I think we were in Mississippi or something. And if you, if I like, always put myself in someone else's shoes, which is like, oh my God, this woman has truly never met a Muslim before. And if you've never met a Muslim before and you're watching Fox or you're listening to whoever Rush Limbaugh or whatever, you may literally think that Muslims have like, like liked 9-11 or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so she's asking me and I was like, oh my God, I'm the first person she's ever been able to ask that question. You know, here, like, it, 15 years later, let me answer her mm-hmm. and let her know that I thought it was heinous, you know? Like she's never mm-hmm. heard that. She's never asked. She's never been in. So I, I think like we have we make things we, we we give people a hard time for not knowing everything about the world. And guess what? Like I'm gonna be a situation I'm gonna be in Slovenia one day and I'm gonna say something real dumb to a Slovenian. And I hope that they take that compassion with me because, and I, and that's, and that's just like the kind of thing I wish we all did for each other, as opposed to like, I feel like there's an instant rage reaction with questions like that from
2: people. You know, thanks so much, Negin. We have to take a quick break for ads, but we'll be right back. Let's do it. With friends like these is brought to you by Magic Spoon. I eat pretty well, veggies, fruit, lean protein, but- I love snacks. Snacks are my downfall, because I think of snacks as a treat. And what is more of a treat than breakfast at night? That is the beauty of Magic Spoon. A bowl of magic spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It has only 140 calories a serving. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free, low carb, and GMO free. You can build your own box online picking from cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. I highly recommend mixing flavors. Blueberry and frosted is a kind of blueberry muffin. Peanut butter and chocolate, obviously, and cinnamon and cocoa for Mexican hot chocolate on a spoon. Go to magicspoon.com slash WFLT to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code WFLT at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash WFLT and use code WFLT to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Ritual. Protein powders can feel intimidating and their ingredients mysterious, but we all need protein and it's about more than just muscles. So the Ritual team of scientists reimagined protein powders from how they're made to who they're for and why they're needed. The result is a delicious plant-based protein. It comes in three formulas for distinct life stages and unique nutrient needs, all made with the same high standards approach and commitment to traceability that Ritual is known for. Introducing Essential Protein here to shake things up. Now cooking for myself, protein is kind of a weak spot because buying and cooking meat is a lot of trouble. So I need to work it in wherever I can. So essential protein goes in my smoothies. It goes in my overnight oats and you can bake with it. You deserve to know what you're putting in your body and why. With Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you'll always know what's in Ritual's formulas, where the ingredients come from, and why they're included. Essential Protein has no added sugar or sugar alcohols, and like all Ritual products, Essential Protein is soy-free, gluten-free, and formulated with non-GMO ingredients. So, why not shake up your Ritual? To make trying something new a little less scary, Ritual is offering a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Plus, my listeners get 10% off during your first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash friends to add essential protein to your diet today. That's ritual.com slash friends.
0: Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter. Where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.
1: With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook chocolate collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream, Extraordinary Dairy.
2: So, what you were saying about being an ambassador and, and being curious about why people say things that are ignorant or offensive, yeah. I actually had the thought that there may be worthwhile to sometimes mm-hmm. think about the difference between ignorant and offensive. Is that marginalized people have to imagine? The whiteness perspective all the time, right? It's W. Du Bois, like double consciousness. Like yeah. you, ha- you, ha- you cannot assume you know what the other person is thinking. Where we white people were like, I know everything, you know. Yeah, like right. I, know how, <laughs> I know how black people think. I know how Mexicans think. Like whatever. Like right. And and as if you're not centered, if you're not a centered kind of privileged person, you're kind of forced to do that imaginative leap, and you know you're making the leap. You know what you don't know. Right, right. And I think that outsider-ness, maybe that's one of the reasons why, and I want to stay away from the word funny, but it makes for sharper observations. Yeah, I mean, I think it, like. If you choose to do it, like if you choose to engage in that, which not everybody wants to, not everybody has to, whatever.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. May, I mean, it? It I, because I think you're, you're maybe just getting a, like a more three dimensional view of what's going on in any particular situation, you know? Um, it's sort of how like bilingual kid, they did a study on like bilingual kids and they end up, um, being more like aware of what people are thinking because they, uh, they know that they speak two
2: languages, um, and oh, like, what a wonderful I wish, metaphor.
3: Actually. Yeah. I just want
2: to stop you. That's such a great, well, it, a great example, maybe not metaphor for yeah. that doubleness. Right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and so I think, you know, like with marginalized people, it's like, we know that we speak two cultural languages, you know? And so it, you know, so, so it's easier for us to like, constantly be aware of two things, which is, a form of privilege <laughs> if I get you know like 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 the 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 privilege I have is mostly like there's a fruit stand guy who when I ask alam alaykum he gives me a dollar off and so that's <laughs> mostly my privilege but I do think it is I do think it's like nice that I also feel like yes in a lot of situations I like speak both languages
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. let's turn to your podcast mm-hmm. Uh, which you've been on and you've been I, delightful thank you so much uh i'm curious i haven't had a chance to ask this of a comedian yet about the post-trump comedy scene yeah uh-huh. especially like newsy comedy right yes there was a prediction that like kind of the bottom would fall out you know
3: right right
2: right, right. <laughs> like we'd have nothing to talk about <laughs> i'm curious i i know that there's still shit to talk about, but I'm curious how it's changed because it must have changed. Yeah,
3: it's what I mean, it's so funny because I think uh, like almost immediately after the inauguration, it became just less stressful um, to to talk about politics. I think there's so much like anger before and, and weirdly anger on both sides, anger from the people in power and anger from the people outside of power. And, um, and now, um, it's weird. Like it's, I also think we get to like have larger discussions because we're not talking about tweets or whatever. We're like, we, you know, we get to be like, like what, like talking about, uh, like this huge American rescue plan or the American Families Plan, or like we can kind of be a little bit talk more a little bit about ideas and less about personality, you know? I think before we spent a lot of time parsing through whether or not someone was in a bad mood or what are the, whether they got their KFC that day or whatever. And it was like, we wasted a lot of energy on that, you know, um, because that wasn't actually important. (laughs) One person's mood and how it affected the planet. It's crazy how, how much time we had to devote to that. And we don't, we actually get to talk about like ideas and stuff. And, and I, and I think it's like more fun this way. I actually don't, even though it seemed like there was a lot of fodder then it wasn't. It was It was harrowing and it wasn't fun.
2: I think of humor in a time of less obvious criticisms as being harder. And I will try to say that again. Because what I mean is when you have instinctive reactions to something that you think uh-huh. is bad, yeah. to me, the comedy flows pretty easily then. Like... It, you have a heightened reaction. Your mind is like, click, 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 click. I, I can be funny about this because I have to be funny about this because this is really pissing me off. Yeah. When things are, when I have to think more about things, maybe, <laughs> 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 like when an issue is more complicated and I, I don't know how I feel about it, I think it's harder to, to be funny. And I, I'll compare it to something that I'm actually much more familiar with, which is reviews. Mm-hmm. I think every critic knows that a pan is the easiest thing to write. Right. A rave is the second easiest thing to write. Okay. And a it's pretty good but not great is the hardest thing to write. Right. Right, 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 right. So am I on the right track here about thinking about how how funny you can make something or, or the path to funny if it's a complicated issue? If you I don't have think- that instinctive reaction? Like,
3: I think that the... I guess, well, my, my question for you is, have you seen Gutfeld on Fox?
2: Oh, I have a question on here is why aren't conservatives funny? So if that's what you're, where you're going. I, because
3: like, I mean, so I'm, <laughs> I'm like wondering, because so if you're, if, if what you're saying is right, then it should be very easy for a show like Gutfeld on Fox, the a new like oh, conservative interesting. themed comedy show to be funny. Right. Because theoretically, like they're not in power. Um, and they probably, you know, hate everything that Biden's doing, but I think they're actually having a hard time finding it. This is why I think it's easier for me now than it was before, because I don't like talking about, I don't like making fun of people. Mm. I've never enjoyed making fun of people. It makes me feel bad. And so even though Donnie was like the worst guy ever, I still didn't enjoy the, the comedy that made fun of him, like it just, none of it felt really good, you know? Um, and so I think it's more fun. I mean, I just, I like, I, to me, I'm just like, where is the Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-deprecation? Like, how do we make fun of ourselves? And that, and that I think is where like conservative comedy, I think for some reason, does it naturally go to self-deprecation or something?
2: Like, oh, for it, some and, reason. Do you want me to weigh in? Like please, on those? I, I <laughs> For some I reason, is it a, just do you, it, you think yeah, it's please. a mystery? I don't think it's a mystery. <laughs> I do. I mean, it's, I don't.
3: I don't understand because it feels like an e- like an easy way to make comedy work, and
2: it's not. They're not taking that. coming from a position of power. That is, I think, what was a, is a big hurdle for them because you could say they're out of power, but no, they're not. You right. know, I mean, like right. in terms of just like state h- houses, you could do it that yeah, way. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sheer numbers like the, they are not in control. And yes, there's a Democrat. Right. But yeah, structurally, the kind of people that become Republicans mm-hmm. have a lot of power. And I think that maybe this sort of goes back to the idea that it's hard to step out of yourself. Yeah. Then. And so yeah. they are kind of blind. In a way, to like their own frailties and their own idiosyncrasies and their own hypocrisies. Yeah, and if you are, and I'm not, and, and I think humor has to be aware of that, even if it's you're not going after yourself, even if it's right. not completely self-deprecating. You can't just you like, to, oh, yeah, you you're have to know your own have weaknesses. To speak
3: both languages. You have to be aware of what's going on and you also have to be aware of yourself. And that, and if, and if, yeah, I I see that. And if you're not aware of yourself,
2: then it's really hard to be self-deprecating. Because I I did sincerely have a question about that, that I wanted to, I I wanted to know if you had, because it is yet still kind of a mystery, I will say. Like, I do think that the, the point we're talking about explains some of it. Maybe my actual, the real mystery for me is why some conservatives find conservative humor funny. <laughs> like, no, and, that, and I don't, that, and I think sort that, of like, like... Like, you really like this? Like, you think this is funny? Right, well, the thing is, too, is
3: I am truly rooting for conservative comedy. Oh. Because I think that they, you know, the, the, the entertainment on offer is mostly people talking with, like, hints of funny... And, but mostly it's a lot of anger and that has become a form of entertainment, but that's not actually entertaining because it's like, you know, it's not taking you on a journey of jokes and fun. It's like, it's just still uh, talking about the world and being angry about it with occasional jokes. And that is not, um, I think I would love to see conservative comedy, that really, I don't know, focuses on, I don't know, jokes about family or whatever. Jokes about k- the kids. What are they doing? Like, it's weird to me that they, you know, and, and in fact, I've seen Christian comedy be more successful at this than conservative comedy. And I'm always like, guys, I, can you I mean, take a page from your Christian comics? Like, they're doing a way better job. And I think also, like, Christian comics don't immediately go to, like, Just like trashing liberals,
2: like it's because it's a little not Christian. (laughs) I'm going to point out as a Christian that there is a little bit of that double awareness for Christians. Yeah. Especially if you're someone that considers yourself fairly devout, like a a believer, like someone who's a practicing Christian. Right. Uh, And that's not just your identity that you mark on a form. Right, 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 right. Um, And also, if you're like a practicing Christian, You're gonna have some humility. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I don't know if you know about that. Like that's (laughs) there's a whole thing. Christians are big on that,
3: (laughs) and humility isn't really like a part of like the right wing, you know, ecosystem. And so I think so. I'm really rooting for conservatives to find something that softens them to themselves because I think it'll just be more fun. Like it is okay. To like, for that whole, you know, for, for, for right-wing um, conservative people to like just have more fun and like, and not have it be about being against and angry about um, something.
2: And I, I also, then I have to wonder, so if this identity group Finds humility and finds a double awareness. Then are are they conservative anymore? Are they right wing anymore?
0: <laughs> like- right, right, right. Like, I think it lifts them out. I mean, I
3: think that's what it could. What what like a meet like what a great like comedy could do for them is like pull them out of it a little bit so that they're not so um, there. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. think it would
2: soften. I think it would soften. Nagin. Got to break in again. Okay. Okay. But but we'll be right back. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Best Fiends. I would like to tell you about my friend Betsy. Her superpower is celebrating other people's successes. She celebrates her success too. But what's amazing about Betsy is that whatever you've accomplished, she can make you feel even better about it. It never feels like bragging or trying to put someone else down. She's the person I call when I want to feel good about feeling good. Your closest friends are always there for you when you need them. Good time, bad time. In between times, they've got you. Like how Best Fiends always has a new puzzle to keep your brain feeling refreshingly challenged. If you like solving fun puzzles, Best Fiends is for you. There's way more variety and strategy than you'll get from smashing candy round after round. With Best Fiends, there's always something new to play. The adorable, collectible characters just keep coming. It's going to be hard to choose your favorite. The levels get harder at just the right pace. You're not going to get frustrated or bored. And you get to collect the fiends and figure out which ones have the skills that work best. It's problem solving on multiple levels and involves no violence whatsoever. So if you're itching for a game that's got your back, specifically the part of your back that is always itching for puzzles to solve, you got to try Best Fiends. Download the five-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's Best Fiends, that's friends without an R. With Friends Like These is brought to you by stamps.com. What would you do with extra time and extra money? Well, one of the many things I would do is figure out how to use my backyard more. Uh, here in Austin, it's about to be 100 degrees every day, but right now it's just beautiful. So, you know, uh, outdoor furniture, a grill, some cool lights. I would love to set that up and I would love to pay someone else to do it for me. What would you do with extra time and money? Are you still going to the post office? Still paying full price for postage? Well, thanks to Stamps.com, you don't have to anymore. Mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Send letters, ship packages, and pay less, a lot less, with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com saves businesses thousands of hours and tons of money every year. It's probably going to be a year before I get all of my stuff down to Austin, and it's going to be a year before I finish buying all the stuff I need for a new house so much stuff and it all involves shipping and returning and buying. If I had to go to the post office for all of it, I'd have no time to actually enjoy living here. Stamps.com allows me to love just being at home. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. It's a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending invoices, a side hustle, Etsy shop, shipping out orders, or just navigating this hybrid work life. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. No wonder over 1 million businesses choose Stamps.com for their mailing and shipping. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7, any letter, any package, any class of mail. Anywhere you want to send it. Once the mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. With stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 66% off UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder nearly 1 million small businesses already use stamps.com. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to stamps.com instead. There is no risk. And with my promo code, FRIENDS, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in FRIENDS. That's stamps.com, promo code FRIENDS. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. So I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of the conversation. Okay. You're a social justice comedian. What does success in that field look like for you?
3: <laughs> oh my God, that's a really weird question. I mean, it's like, no, it's like, oh my God, that that makes me have some existential angst um, because success in that career, I guess means we then live in utopia. <laughs> it means I solved racism. <laughs> it means there's universal childcare. I don't even know. Like it's so, it's so crazy. Um, yeah. So there's like that big, big, you know, global thing that obviously we're all working for. Um, you know, and for me personally, you know, it's crazy. I got an email from someone the other day that was like, you know, I listened to your podcast and I just want you to know that like um you you're one of the reasons i'm now a liberal um you're the second most influential person in making me a liberal i was a conservative then i was a libertarian um i've been listening to your podcast for years and the the first most influential person was donald trump and you're the second most influential person and i was like wow and it i was um just utterly moved and it, i'm not trying to get people to like become, be a part of a party. You know what I mean? It's not, that's not my goal. It's like, get you to be a Democrat. But, but if being a Democrat makes means that you're, you're going to be more accepting of your fellow person and you're going to be, you know, and, and and you care about the climate and that you care about, um, I don't know, housing <laughs> for, for more people or whatever, then that's, great. And that's a win. And so I think those are the small successes for me, um, that man, I really hold on like that email. It's like, I'm printing it and making it my, the wallpaper of my entire house. You know what I mean? Like, that's like, it feels so good to, to hear something like that from someone. So it's really, really small wins
2: that I I think I can hang my hat on sometimes. And I want to give you a chance to maybe elevate some other people. Cause I assume there are more people doing the stuff that you do. And I would love to hear about them. Um yeah. I mean there's sorry, just, you wh- want to take a break and think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I am curious. Like I think like it'd be good I'd be good to know, right? Like Yeah. Um Yeah. Or so, who do you look to for inspiration? Maybe that's a better question.
3: Um, oh my God. Um it's funny because I would say, you know, there's like I mean there's uh I don't even know who I would. You know, obviously like you mentioned Kamal Bell, you know, um you know there's there's you mentioned Kamal Bell, he's obviously you know doing a lot in this space, you know, I I I made uh, my film uh The Muslims Are Coming with uh, Dean Obidala. Um you know, a comedian in this space. Um there's, you know, I think the thing is like I am around Really brilliant comedians and artists all the time who just don't get enough attention generally. And so, what I would say is just like go support your locals. You know Mm. what I mean? Go find the local comedy club. Go find the local coffee shop that has comedy. Like go find your local community theater. Um, Those people are really talented and they just need some support. And so that's what I would. I would want. I think there's just so many good people working out there and they just don't get the attention that the famouses get
2: so go give them that attention on this week's with adorables like these you're going to hear from Matt DeGroote Crooked Media's director of video production and his pup who has him wrapped around her little paw Jolene all right Matt Thank you for coming on the show. Of course. Please tell us your adorable's name and could you describe your adorable?
1: Sure. So her name, her full name is Jolene Pootytoots de Gromez, but just, you know, Jolene for short. Um, she is a little black and white mixed mystery dog. She's about 10 pounds. We actually did one of those DNA tests to see what her sort of background was and it came back. Chihuahua, 25% Terrier, 50% Mystery. So we're not really sure what's going on there. I think there might be some otter or Ewok or something, but she's cute.
2: I've heard the term super mutt for that kind of combination, which I really like. (laughs) Exactly. And how did Jolene come into your life?
1: We actually, we found her through a rescue organization here in LA called Mayday they have an Instagram account where they post the dogs that they're currently rescuing and saving. And we had been sort of looking around for a while and we were scrolling through the account and we saw a picture of Jolene and both of us being big Dolly Parton fans, we were like, oh my God, that's our dog. And so we reached out and then like within a week, she was our pup.
2: It's fun when the adorable comes with the right name. Yes. Like I ha- I've had a couple come with the right name too awesome.
1: It's the best.
2: So what's the most you've gone out of your way for Jolene or the biggest way you spoil her?
1: Oh, God. We we spoil her way too much, to be honest. I think the biggest thing lately is we recently moved to a new place back in November. And we knew the move was like not traumatic for her, but it was a big change of being in a new space. And so she used to always sleep in her crate at night. And for the first few nights in the new home, we were like, oh, she might be stressed out. Let's just let her sleep in bed with us. It is now six months later, and she has not returned to the crate.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's very rare that they go back, I think. And how does your adorable support you? I mean, all animals are emotional support animals. But is there a particular way that Jolene supports you?
1: She, She supports us. Honestly, just by being a constant source of humor and joy for us, she um, is a very goofy dog. She likes to like randomly get angry at like text on screen if she sees it on the TV. That for some reason sets her off, which we find hilarious. She is very proud. Like if she ever uses her pee pad or um, finishes her food, she'll come over and like stomp her foot at us to tell her she needs more or she deserves a treat. She's just hilarious, and we love having her around. And especially this past year when we've been at home so much, it's hard to imagine going through this year without her presence.
2: Anna, is there a cause that Jolene would support if she could throw her support?
1: Ooh, I feel like she would be in support of universal health (laughs) care. If only selfishly because... She doesn't want medical bills getting in the way of like us buying treats for her.
2: Right. I also have it on uh, good authority that there is in fact another thing that she does that's hilarious that we have not mentioned. Oh. Which is running in circles around your legs. (laughs) Yes. Is this a thing that she does?
1: It is. Every time we enter the apartment, she immediately just starts running in circles to show her excitement and just will spin around and then eventually like, get up on her hind legs and tap you with her front ones.
2: And does she have a voice that you can do for us?
1: (laughs) She sure does. Um,
2: She talks a little bit
1: like this. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of like a sassy Marcel, the show.
2: (laughs) Matt and Jolene, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you. And that is it for the show. Thanks to Nagin Farsad. You can find Fake the Nation anywhere you get your podcast. Her most recent book is How to Make White People Laugh. Also, thanks to Matt and Jolene. This show is a production of Crooked Media, produced by Allison Herrera, with assistance from Jordan Waller. Izzy Margulies is our booker. Louis Lino engineered this episode. Whitney Pastrick is fully vaccinated and ready to rumble. Once again, have a glorious pride month and let the queer people in your life know you love them exactly as they are just like i hope you love that person in the mirror take care of yourselves
0: escape to ocean city maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter where every day feels like saturday and french fries are a food group where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.
3: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style and you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley.